So picture it. Jerusalem, after the resurrection of Jesus, as the disciples are increasing in number, Greeks start to complain against the Hebrew believers that Greek widows are being forgotten. They want a better structure. They want a better system for how to help those who are in need. So the complaint is made to the twelve. Matthias has replaced Judas at this point, so they're back to twelve. And the followers of Jesus decide it's no good for them to neglect preaching the word just to go out and feed the hungry. So they decide we'll appoint seven other people to do this work. Seven people full of faith. That was the one job requirement to be deacons. Deacon means servant. And these were to be servants to all the people, even Greek widows. Everybody's happy with the new arrangement. And Luke tells us that the number of believers in Jerusalem then continues to increase greatly. Stephen then is first remembered as one of these deacons. Full of faith, one of the seven, chosen to do the work that the twelve apostles felt they shouldn't do. But we don't only remember Stephen as a deacon. It's not his life's work that sets him apart. It's his death. After telling the story about Stephen and six others being chosen as deacons, Luke immediately tells the story of Stephen's arrest. Luke says, Stephen did great wonders, great signs among all the people. Some of the people didn't like what Stephen was doing or the way he was doing it. Maybe that's better said. So they got into arguments with him. But they weren't able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which Stephen was speaking. Stephen obviously had been brought close to God. Luke has described him thus far as full of faith, full of faith and power. He does great signs and wonders. He speaks with the spirit. With a man of this kind of character, Luke wants to make a point and show us what happens to such people who have been brought so close to God. So these men who started to argue with him, they plot against him. They set up false witnesses to get him imprisoned. And then they succeed in getting him in lots of trouble. Knowing that he's in trouble, does Stephen back off? Of course not. He responds to his persecutors using what maybe is all of our favorite Old Testament insult. Maybe you've used this one to somebody you don't like. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears. You know what I mean? Whoa. Like serious shade being thrown on these people. Jews, which is what Stephen is talking, that's who he's talking to here, they would have understood this, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears. That would have been like the worst possible insult to their identity. Maybe you can think of equivalent insults that we might say to others in our own time. In fact, don't think of those. We just know we can be mean to each other, right? Anyway, that's what Stephen is doing here. He's reminding them that they're acting like something other than what they really are. They're living outside their identity. He's insulting their very essence by calling them uncircumcised in heart and ears. Then he goes on to tell the truth about their ancestors. Again, insults many times go to ancestors, don't they? You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. 
So this has gone beyond debate at this point. Luke says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, which reminds me of a Bon Jovi song that I won't put in your ear right now. They eventually stopped, li- you got it now, don't you? They eventually stopped listening to the truths he was telling. They stopped their ears and they ran at him together, taking him out of the city and stoning him to death. It's quite a story. It's a very strange Bible story. Stephen does amazing work as a deacon, but he's celebrated most for being the first disciple of Jesus to die for his beliefs. He was the first martyr. Faced with a hostile crowd ready to kill him, Stephen does not back away from the truth or from declaring words given to him by the Holy Spirit. Instead, he follows the Spirit boldly until his earthly body can follow no more. He gives his life up as an unwavering disciple. That's the definition of martyr. And so we remember Stephen as a deacon, a servant, and a martyr, one who gave up his body as an unwavering disciple. But why celebrate that? Why celebrate a martyr? Many times we'd celebrate a, a servant, but why celebrate a martyr? How does the power of martyrdom translate into our own time? That's what I was wondering about as I wrote this sermon. Oftentimes, Christianity gets reduced to a pain cream that maybe we only use when we're especially sad or hurting. Or maybe, a, maybe it's more like a vegetable that we force down, knowing it's good for us, but we don't really want to have to do it. To make all of this more comfortable, sometimes we'll take profound, difficult parts of the Christian story and smooth it over. Like, well, we don't want to, you know, we don't really want to talk about the violence of this story, for example. But celebrating someone because they died for the faith, I mean, there's nothing really to smooth over about this. This is what it is. On our windows, as you look around this space, there's all these wet, these are the apostles' windows, the last six, six of the last seven on each side. Almost all of them have some kind of a weapon on them because that's how each of these apostles died. Like, yikes, there's knives, there's clubs, there's axes, there's all kinds of awful things. Why celebrate that? Why not smooth that over? We celebrate St. Stephen, deacon and martyr, because his life exemplified what being a child of God looks like. The ancient church fathers said, the blood of the martyrs are the seeds of the church. It was one of the most famous early church things to say. Martyrs like Stephen... They made the rest of the world curious about what these people died for. I mean, it it is a pretty amazing idea. Martyrs brought people to the gospel, and with their curiosity, the Holy Spirit brought about a lot of believers, so many that we're here now talking about Stephen almost 2,000 years later. He was the first of many martyrs, and with his martyrdom, we see what the whole story of Jesus from birth to death to resurrection means for those who follow him. This Savior that is born to us is not born so that we can just sit back and revel in how we don't have to do anything now, that it's all been done already. 
God was born as a child, so we'd start living like children of God ourselves, following the will of God, being full of faith and power like Jesus is, perhaps even speaking wisdom by the power of the Spirit, as Stephen does. Stephen, full of faith, becomes a disciple. He becomes a truth-teller, a prophet. He imitates Jesus. That's what the story of Jesus can mean for us. Remember, at Jesus' birth, the angel said, To you all is born this day a Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. And so we are called to follow that child with unwavering discipleship, hopefully not leading to martyrdom. As I look at the story of Stephen, though, I don't think the most difficult thing he does is accept death for his beliefs. It's those last words. Being killed by stones, he says, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And I don't know that we can really understand the the gravity of this prayer that Stephen prays. Because it was Jewish law for anyone about to die an unfair death. I know that's a very specific category. But it was Jewish law for anyone about to die an unfair death that they could pray against those who were killing them unjustly. An example of this is Zechariah. Zechariah is a prophetic book in the Old Testament. He does, Zechariah does, this very thing outside the temple as he was stoned to death. As he's being killed, Zechariah said, May the Lord look on it and repay. But Stephen doesn't pray this kind of prayer, which I think is very interesting. I mean, do you think Luke was aware of the Zechariah story? Do you think Luke may have been trying to contrast Stephen's Christ-following, merciful response to Zechariah's vengeful response? Yes. I think so. Stephen's martyrdom, full of courage, full of faith, and full of mercy, shows the change that has happened with Jesus. No longer must we always seek vengeance. Zechariah was being faithful in his own way. Following Jesus, we're free to seek peace. We're graced with God's love and mercy for ourselves so that we don't have to judge others or condemn others or hate others or fight our way into faithfulness. Instead, in baptism, we're given God's goodness. We're put on a path of giving and receiving mercy and forgiveness, even in the most terrible and grave situations. You know, in the wake of this trial of Officer Derek Chauvin for murdering George Floyd, I've been remembering moments like this moment in American history. I've been remembering moments that I've known like this in my past. I remember Rodney King when I was growing up. Any of us that remember that probably remember him calling upon everyone to just get along. Or in Charleston, I was thinking about after the Emanuel Nine were gunned down, including, you might remember, a classmate of mine from seminary, Reverend Clem Pinckney. Do you remember what some of the church members there said to the shooter? We forgive you. We pray for you. That was an incredible witness to being a mercy-filled follower of Jesus. You know, the shooter, by the way, was a confirmed ELCA Lutheran. The good news today 
as we read from such a violent text, and as we know we still live in a very violent world, is that we're given everything we need to look at all the violence right in the face and simply say, peace. We have everything we need to stand for peace. We have everything we need to be Christ's peace in the world, knowing God provides all the way even unto death and far beyond. Thanks be to God. Amen.